2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we always... So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The word of the Lord. Well, as we continue to study the book of 2 Corinthians, you come along, come across passages like this, which on first glance you can say, I don't know how that relates to me. I don't know what to do with that. And so we're going to be digging in. Keep your Bibles handy because we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures this morning because we have to define and understand what Paul is getting at here. And we have to pray that the Holy Spirit would come, make this come alive to us. So first of all, let me ask you a question. Any of y'all have seen the show Hoarders? I know you probably shouldn't have watched it. How many of you have seen something about some of you? I can't watch that show. I can just tell you, it, it makes, it, it upsets me. I'm just telling you, just personally. Um, I, there's a lot of issues, and I know there's a lot of things going on in people's lives. I want to use that as a metaphor this morning, because one of the subsets of that show is some people on the outside of their home, the things that they've hoarded inside begin to spill out on the outside of their home. But for some people, it their outside looks just fine. The outside, actually, you would never know on the inside. I've, I've had some relatives who you'd walk into their home or townhome and you wouldn't know, but they, they have hoarding tendencies. And it's, you know, we laugh a little bit, but there's, when I look at our lives, Often I see people on the outside, they look great. I mean, they're looking, you know, just really good. But you know what? Inside they're hoarding. What they're hoarding is the death that comes when sin wreaks havoc in our lives. On the other hand, there are people for whom this, this is an actual house, not a, not a warehouse, this is a, somebody's home in San Antonio. Okay? It's, might be somewhat like our new church building, but you know it's going to look nicer than that. But we're we're somewhat doing like of our first building. It's going to be different than that. But but we've got this is someone's actual house, and you might look on the outside and think, man, I, I feel kind of bad for them. I'm living in a warehouse. I mean, that's you know. Here's the inside of the house. All right, that's half the inside. Um, that's how they've chosen to model. That's the new church as well on the inside. So. <laughs> Don't we wish, right? Now, what's, what's the other? That's the other half uh, on the second floor of the inside. 
And you know what I, you know what I, the picture for me is? Remember what Paul said at the end of the last chapter? He said, for momentary light affliction is producing for me an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Because I don't look at the things on the outside of my body, but the things inside. For the things outside are passing away and temporal, but the things which are inside are eternal. And you know, I, I think Paul was nothing to look at, and I think he labored under a lot of circumstances. We've seen the difficulties he faced, the accusations he faced in the, in the church at Corinth, and all the difficulties, but his inside, he said, was being renewed day by day. And we live in a culture that looks at the outside and generally judges us by that, wants us to build those things up, wants us to, you know, and it's good to eat right and be all fit and buff and, you know, all these things. You spend all this money on, on our clothes and our, and again, uh, there's nothing wrong with spending money on clothes or, or, you know, healthcare products or, you know, I used to spend a lot of money like on my hair care and then I discovered a way to like save money. So if you're looking for ideas, I have a way of, the way I've saved money on that. But, we, we live in an externally driven culture. You're not going to find a lot of magazines, again, talking about, you know, buy the magazine called Integrity or, you know, Humility, right, Virtue. You don't find that, do you? Right? You find fitness and health. You find, you know, the, the externals. And so we're fighting the current here. We're fighting the trend. And Paul is trying to tell again, the story is, he's trying to tell the Corinthians, look, I know you look at me and think I'm a failure. I know there are people who accuse me in that church of not being an apostle because I have so much circumstantial difficulty, I have so much uh, physical pain and challenge, and things don't seem to work out for me sometimes, and I'm telling you that I have learned what really matters forever. And I'm trying to tell you, church, Corinthian church, I'm trying to tell you what really matters forever. And the Greek culture may have been similar to ours. I don't know exactly how they looked at that. But I want us to look at where he picks up in chapter 5 because he's been talking about this outer man versus the inner man. And he says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he uses the picture of an earthly tent. Now, some people think he looks at the tabernacle, which again used to be a tent and is now a temple, a building where the the presence of God was housed, and maybe he's using that imagery. But the earthly tent is his physical body. And he says, look, now I don't know about you, but... You know, the death rate is still closing in on 100%, right, for every person except Jesus and the few he's resurrected. So we're all facing, and I'll tell you, as much as I want to stave off aging, coming, this earthly tent ain't what it used to be. And, you, and can I get an amen from anyone in the congregation? And you know what? I mean, even I, I, I kid some of my New Hope friends, like, you know, they're in their 20s and groaning about their backaches. I'm like, brother, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> I, mean, I can't tell you all the issues. My issues have issues. <laughs> and you know what? Such is the lot of man. And Paul says, me too. But I walk with such hope. And this opens up this first of three things I'm going to take a little side trip to help us because I think in our culture and in our day, we don't talk about a couple of things well enough 
that Paul says guide his life and keep him focused on what's eternal and true, courageous to do God's will. So the three things I'm going to spend a little time looking at that he brings up in here are the resurrected body versus this earthly tent, and that sort of gets us into heaven a little bit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit as a down payment or a guarantee. And then we're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ, because he says, these three things keep me walking the right way. So we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture. I, I would put them all up on the board for you, but I'm just going to, going to point you to a lot. If you want to write them down and look them up, we could spend a lot of time today um, reading a lot of Scripture, but I will give you a bunch of references for this. So he says... This tent, our earthly home, is destroyed. I'm going to have a building from God, a house not made with hands. So what happens? What does the Bible teach happens after you die? Okay. Most people's quick answer is, I go to heaven. And here's, frankly, the sad truth is that most people don't want to go. They'd rather go to heaven than hell. I'll grant you that. But most people I meet are not that excited about going to heaven. They just aren't. I certainly wasn't, especially as a younger person. With my growing aches and pains, sometimes it looks a little better. But that's God has fitted us for heaven. Paul says this later on. If you look down at verse um, 5, God has prepared us for this very thing, what he's talked about in these first four verses. So let's think about and talk about what, we're, what the Bible says we will experience. Okay, When this earthly tent falls off you, it says, this is the language he uses, when the earthly tent is gone, it says, I won't be naked, that is, without a body. It says, I will have a resurrected body. Now, what does that look like? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 talks all about resurrected bodies, and it says, if you want to know what your resurrected body is going to be like, look at Jesus. It says he's the first fruit of what you're going to experience. So here's a couple of things I just want you to know. And I realize for some of you this is like, man, if you're 10, you're thinking, why is he talking about this stuff? I know, I get it, I was 10 too, but believe me, one day, if not today, this will help. So... You will be you after, you die, after you've died. Your body, you do not become a disembodied spirit. Jesus Christ is a person, and we will be people, but we will have resurrected bodies. Why do I say you will be you, that you will be the same person? When Jesus came back, what, what, what did he wear? He wore the scars, right? They were able to physically touch his wounds. Now, his appearance somehow changed where occasionally he was able to change appearance where people didn't recognize him instantly, and then they would recognize him. It's a mystery as to how that looked like, but his body was gone from the tomb. He didn't come reincarnated in someone else's body. He was still Jesus. The second thing we know about this resurrected body, again, this comes from 1 Corinthians 15, it also comes from Philippians. Um, it's the uh, no more disease or pain. Praise the Lord. No more aches and pains and all the things. And it is immortal. We've shed the mortal body for immortal. It means it's not going to wear out. Which leads us to heaven. I've had 
surprise, I don't know if it's surprising or not, number of conversations with people, those who are willing to talk about death. In our culture, you know, death is sort of a taboo subject. Um, my dad, I've said this before, my dad lives in a, a retirement community in Falls Church, and he's run, well, he used to run classes on what happens after death and dying. These are people who are in the last years of their life, and he's gotten exactly zero people to sign up for all of his classes. He and my mom took it over and over again. Now, mainly non-Christians in the place, but they were terrified to think of what would happen. So it was better. they thought it was better if they didn't think about it. I'm telling you what Paul teaches us is this is the greatest hope of living now well, is knowing that you're going to have a resurrected body and a heaven prepared by the God who made the best things on earth and says, this is a shadow. We sang this morning, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. The glorious things that God has prepared for those who walk with Him. Okay? From 1 Corinthians. That's a glorious promise. If the thought of heaven, if you think it's just like earth and you just can't even abide wanting to live because your life is so down and you're such despair, can I tell you it's a place of hope and beauty. Here's what the Bible teaches. Isaiah 65 teaches us that heaven is a place of meaningful work. Isaiah 65, 21. The nature, nature is at its best in heaven, where we see so much of nature as violent and storms and, you know, terrifying. I was talking to somebody this morning. My son, uh, Patrick, is just back from Australia, and they said, isn't that the place where everything there kills you, right? Because every poisonous thing lives in Australia, doesn't it, right? Well, I, in, in Isaiah 11, it says that the serpent shall sit right next to the baby, that the lion and the lamb will be together, that God has reformed that natural predator-prey instinct, and that we will enjoy the full scope of beauty of the world as God created it. That first, first Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 says we are reunited with loved ones who have died in the faith. It's, we have the opportunity to meet a world of new brothers and sisters. Matthew 8, 11, he calls people from every tribe and tongue together. You'll see Jesus Christ face to face, Revelation 22, 4. There's so many others, but if, if to you the thought of heaven is not something you long for, I would invite you to look at the Scripture and that not to fear. I know there's a fear of death. It's natural in man, but that Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus Christ came to destroy the fear of death. Held by the devil. It's one of the devil's tools. And you do not have to be afraid. So, there's a lot more I could say about that, but this is what Paul teaches us in this, that he longs for and he wants them to long for not simply this earthly life, but also what comes beyond it. So he says, while we're in this tent, we groan, being burdened. This is verse um, 4. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, that is, with this new body, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by this life. God says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is the Lord who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 
Let me just tell you, this is my observation. I, I, this may not be true at all for you. This language of the Spirit as a guarantee is something that is spoken of throughout Scripture. Uh, I, I will have you turn. If you have your Bible, you can put your finger in Ephesians 1. It's a couple of books to the right of 2 Corinthians, Ephesians 1.14. And then we'll stay in 2 Corinthians for a little bit. For Paul, well, let's read this and then we'll talk about it. Ephesians 1.14. Paul says this, I'll start with 13. In him, that is in Jesus, you, Ephesians, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Then 2 Corinthians 1, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Start with 21 to get a running start. 2 Corinthians 1.21 It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and has given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That word there is a guarantee. It's a down payment. It's The, the point is, when, when I go on a mission trip, when I've done short-term missions, I have two types of people who attend short-term missions. Those who attend and those who don't attend, those who want to attend. The difference is who puts their deposit down, right? When I say, I'm going to take a short-term mission trip to Thailand or Colombia or wherever we're going to go for our short-term mission, and I get a big crowd of people who will come and say, I'm really interested, and I say, 50% non-refundable deposits due in a month, I guarantee you the crowd thins out, right? Because the reality hits of... I'm all in. I'm giving you something that says I'm invested in this now. And so this is the word that's used. It's a guarantee of what's coming. And for Paul, he says the guarantee that I'm coming back because our human mind doubts this. I don't know about you, but I doubt. I doubt that it's coming. Is the Holy Spirit inside you? And here's the thing, my observation is that I think for us, I don't, I don't know why, but I, I feel like for many believers that's a very weak thing, that that promise doesn't feel much like a promise, that we don't know how to have that indwelling Holy Spirit to give us the confidence. And I say that because I watch my own heart live in such doubt and fear sometimes and be captivated. And I, I'm praying for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit that it would be a guarantee because it's God's guarantee. He sends the guarantee and says, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to be with you from now until forever. If you've trusted in me, if you've banked on me and you've put your all in on me, the Holy Spirit is going to live inside you, and we've got to know His reality. The Holy Spirit isn't a thing, or a, it's, a, it's the presence of Jesus Christ. It's the third part of the Trinity. And I want us to know that reality so that we have confidence in the guarantee. Why? Why do we need that confidence? Because life is hard! 
life is hard and it can get harder. I mean, I guess for some people it gets like really easy, but I'm just telling you, as things go on in life, you accumulate pain and trials. And Paul has a list a mile long, and so do some of us. And without God, we are hopeless. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're simply flailing around on a rock going a million miles an hour into space. And you got nothing. Really, you don't. And with the Lord, you have the one who has created everything, committing himself to you, and he put a deposit on the ultimate mission trip. Your mission here, ending here. Heaven isn't somewhere else. You get that, right? A new heaven and a new earth. Heaven came down to earth and it's continuing to come down to earth. We have the deposit. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. It's a mystery. I get that. But please don't think we float around in space, right? It was Mark Twain who said, you know, I, I, I want the perks of heaven, but the social, you know, social life of hell, because it seems, I, who wants boring perfection, kind of? No! No, God created you to be completely fulfilled with Him. And Paul says, this keeps me going, because Corinthians, you ain't paying me. And Corinthians, all, I get grief from you, But you see, I know that I'm going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and ask, did did I do, Lord, what you gave me to do? That is why I do what I do. And that's why even though my outer shell is wasting away, my inner life is glorious because I stand clean before the Lord. So we've looked at Resurrected body and heaven as it relates to that. We've looked at the Holy Spirit as a seal. And again, I I don't think I have full understanding of how the Lord lets us know. But I can just tell you, I want us all to ask for the Holy Spirit to be so present, to fill us, to baptize us completely so that we are completely filled with the seal and assurance that God has us. Can you say amen? Right? Doctrinally, we fight over, well, does that mean I'm charismatic? I hope so. Because what that means is charisma is the grace of God. Literally, Greek charis is the grace of God. And I pray that we are all filled with the grace of God affirming us in the Holy Spirit. Doctrinal wars aside, I, I can just tell you, the Bible says 100% unequivocally, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Secondly, thirdly, Secondly was the Holy Spirit's seal. Thirdly, I want to talk just a little bit about the judgment seat of Christ because Paul does it. These aren't things that you're going to hear. And again, how you live this out, I'm going to have to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But here's what he says, starting at verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 5. So we are always of good courage, right? I don't know about you, but I get afraid sometimes. I need courage. In a culture that is closing in with a lot of darkness, in, a, in, in the, the situations of our life with the grief and the death and the pain and the loss of friendships and, and all the things we deal with, we need courage. And Paul says, here's how I get it. 
I know that while I'm at home in the body, I'm away from the Lord. He says, for I walk by faith, not by sight. Don't rip that phrase out of the context. He says, while we're here in the body, we don't see everything really clearly. I know that's true. Boy, there are a lot of things I'm going to ask the Lord about when I get to heaven that I didn't understand. Maybe it won't matter then. I don't know. But I don't think he'll mind my questions. And he says, look, while we're here, we have to walk by faith, not by sight. And I visualize it like this. If you've ever walked in a really, really smoky or foggy situation and you don't know exactly where the turns are, but you know the way the room is structured or the way the house or if you're outside, you kind of know the way the yard is. You know, I don't, I can't see everything, but I know where I'm headed because I, I know the lay of the land, so to speak. And I can tell you this, in my life, and I hope in your life, the lay of the land is that I'm pursuing Jesus Christ, His righteousness, His word, His truth, and a lot of fog in the meantime. I'm not sure of things. But that when the smoke clears and my sight is perfectly, you know, and all, everything's done, that I'll know I've walked the right direction and that He was at the end of the road all along. He was there waiting for you. And as a matter of fact, He sent His Holy Spirit to guide you in the way. So, we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage. He says, I'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, He's not afraid of dying. it's, It's a preference for Him, actually. But He says really doesn't matter because whether I'm at home or away, we make it our aim to please people, right? To make sure they all like us a lot. That's the way we tend to live our lives. I certainly don't want to let, get anyone mad at me, right? Can I just tell you something? Somebody's going to be mad at you. Can I just assure you of that? Everybody take a deep breath. Somebody's going to be mad at you, right? They're going to be disappointed in you. It's going to happen, Right? And you will wear yourself out making sure it doesn't. Now, don't go out trying to disappoint people. I mean, you know, it's it's not like there's any glory in that either. But please don't waste your breath with somebody being upset, you know, that you didn't do this or that. My goodness, I, I just, I'd be tied up in knots if for every, every time I disappoint people um, and myself. But he says, I make it my aim to please him. And the glorious thing is, God's general posture is He's pleased with you. He really is. Now, does He like everything you do? No, not necessarily. Let's see. For we must all, verse 10, appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. Ooh! Feeling a little scared? Feeling a little, you know... How do we look at this? We don't like, we don't like to look at this because judging really makes us uncomfortable. It just does, right? Judge not, right? Unfortunately, there is a judge. Jesus Christ has been given the task by the Father to judge the world. And so, there are, I have about 40 scriptures that are available up here on the specifics of the judgment seat. We won't be going through all of them. But let me just, Let's just give you a couple, all right? Um, Matthew, oh gosh, there's so much. Uh, let's, let's go to Romans 14. It's close by. I'm just going to give you a couple. 
Romans 14, and then we're going to talk about what this means, how we live our lives in light of this. Do we do it with fear or trepidation or whatever? 14. Romans 14. Start with verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. This is probably the lengthiest thing about the judgment seat. I'm going to pick and choose a few of the verses here because there's a long passage. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, these are the... He's talking about the various acts that you do in your life. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. That is the day of judgment. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work you do. Skip down, if you will, with me to um, verse... Um, I'll, I'll start at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This is how we should regard... This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, don't pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Uh, I'll do one more. Just to f If you're not already freaked out a little bit, I'll give you one more chance. Matthew 12, verse 36. Matthew 12, verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be condemned. Um, so anyway, I, like I say, there's 30 verses specifically speaking of that. All right, how do we look at this? Paul said it like this. I know that I'm going to appear before God one day and give an account for all he has given me, for all he's asked of me. First, this is not how you determine whether you're a Christian or not. When you go, your, Christ, your, your faith is safe in the hands of God if you've trusted in Christ and His work. Is that this judgment seat is not, well, I've done enough good works, so now I'm a Christian. You go confident to the judgment seat of Christ that he stands up, and the word is propitiation. He says everything that should have happened was deserved by this person, by Tim McGowan, the judgment. Lord, 
Father God, let it fall on me. I give him my inheritance. He's a joint heir with me. Puts his arm around you and says, he's with me. She's with me. Settled and sealed. However, the scripture is clear. Our words, our actions come. And I don't know the mechanism and I don't know exactly how. But again, it's not something I relish thinking about. But it hopefully will make our live our lives soberly to think that we will go before the Lord and say, Lord, here is what I did on in faith, how I walked. And that the Lord doles out many crowns and many rewards. And sometimes we may I may bring some shame because I know that in the dark places I've done some things that I, I wish I hadn't. And they're covered by the forgiveness of Christ. But I'm not going to have any illusions of myself that that I won't in that day feel some sense of, Lord, I, I blew that one. And I know He'll say, I love you. It's okay. Here's a, here's a crown. Here's a reward. Because I see what you did in the hidden place when no one was looking. I think Paul says these things. Going back, we're going to close now. Going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, the reason I can go on, the reason that I keep going in this ministry, the reason that my life is so filled with joy when you're asking, how can it be like this, is because I know what awaits me, which is a resurrected body, which is a heaven filled with joy. I know it for a fact because I know the Holy Spirit's presence as a guarantee inside of me. And when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Though I'm sure, Paul says, look, I'll, I'll be ashamed of the fact that I persecuted Christians. I know that's not going to be held against me because of the forgiveness that comes in Christ. And then I can say, Lord, I present to you my life that I did what you asked me to do to the best of my ability. And that in this, the Lord, we don't want to get in just by the skin of our teeth. For, back to that scripture in, 1 Corinthians, the long one we were reading, he says, you know, some people come to faith, but they bring nothing with them. They say they, they get in, they themselves are saved. We want to live our lives, God, not, we want to live our lives for the Lord. Not banking on the fact that, well, I can live my life any old way I choose and grace, you know, if I sin, no big deal, forgiveness is there. Paul says, that's a, that's a misunderstanding. He says, we love the Lord so much because He's first loved us. We want to live our lives in a way that we present to Him not only our own lives, but the lives of those around us that we've loved well. Let's pray. Lord, this can seem like such a message of works, Lord, if we just look at this. But, Lord, grace precedes anything that we do. That You've reached down and grabbed us and For those of us who've trusted in You, through no merit of our own, You have made us alive together with You. And now, Lord, we have the privilege to obey You so that as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Lord, we can come depending on Your mercy and grace for where we've fallen short. But Lord, glad for the opportunity to partner with You in seeing Your kingdom come in this world, being the vanguard 
the first fruits of a changed world. Lord, and we can begin to change it now in our hearts and in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, by being the light. Lord, let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works. And the people around Haymarket and Gainesville and Manassas and Warrington would glorify the God in heaven because they see us obeying you. Lord, give us understanding and encouragement in your word and in your scripture to these things which are mysteries to us and often in a culture that doesn't value these things and sees them as unattainable, unknowable. Lord, we thank you that you give us insight into things that are mysterious. So help us not to fear your coming again, Lord, but knowing that as your kingdom is is fully here, it will be the greatest joy we can ever know. Just take a minute before we close and just ask the Lord to speak to you. If, if, if it frightens you to think about coming before the judgment seat of Christ because you don't know that He would plead for you, you don't know that you know Him, just ask the Lord to come. Just repent. Turn to Him. Forgiveness is freely offered to those who ask. Acknowledge your need of Him. Receive the confidence of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you.